You're listening to Crosspoint Community Church in LaGrange, Texas podcast. To learn more about Crosspoint Community Church, including service times and how you can connect, please visit crosspointchurchtx.org. Good morning. So one of my buddies uh, between services was giving me a hard time because I was drinking so much water in the first service. Uh, so <clears throat> you can tell my progress by the water bottle level. As soon as it gets low, we're rolling out. No landing. I won't chug it. So last week, uh, last week I had the opportunity to spend um, spend some time with the students at camp. Um, it was a good camp, uh, but while I was there during one of our free times, I was scrolling through uh, Facebook, and this little questionnaire popped up uh, that asked, are you an angel or a devil? Have you guys ever seen these things? I mean, it was, it's basically a glorified personality test, but they try, and, they try and make it fun. Like, you answer a series of questions, and they'll give you results like, I don't know, which, which Avenger are you, or... Uh, which of the seven dwarfs you most identify with, or you know why? I don't know why you typically feel sad on Tuesday afternoons at 4:13. But anyway, you answer the questions, you get your results, and the very next thing it asks is if you want to share it. Right now, if you're satisfied with the results, if you think it's funny, if you think your friends will think it's funny, then you're probably going to share it. But if you're if you're embarrassed or you're ashamed, you're probably not going to. So when this thing pops up on my newsfeed, I, I didn't take it. I'll save you the drama. I didn't take the test because I already know I'm an angel. I mean, I don't need, I don't need a stupid Facebook test to tell me that. But what if I, what if I had taken this test and some, some discount personality test and it tells me that I'm a devil through some weird Facebook algorithm and then, hey, let's share that. Um, you know, I'm, I'm spending a week at camp with a bunch of students, some I know. Uh, some I sort of know, some I don't know, and but their parents definitely don't know me. Oh, well, that was interesting. But but they see on Facebook, hey, my, my kid's spending time at a church camp with a devil. That's awesome. <laughs> so anyway, the theme for, for camp this year was truth, right? And we, students and leaders, we spent the week identifying what's true, what's a lie, and how you can tell the difference, right? And the first night... Uh, the camp pastor asked this question. He said, what do you think God thinks of when he thinks about you? What do you think God thinks when he thinks about you? And the truth is, at different points, all of us have or will deal with feelings of guilt or regret or shame. And the lie that we tell ourselves is that we can't do anything about it. Many of us... Many of us waste a lot of time worrying what other people think about us. We, we, we want to be valued. We want to be loved. We want to be respected and admired. And we base that identity and, and sense of self-worth on the views and opinions of other flawed beings instead of, uh, instead of concentrating on God's view of us, which is what's, a, what's important. So there are times, though, that, that, that answering that question is difficult or, quite frankly, uncomfortable for all of us. And this morning, as we continue studying uh, through the Chosen series, we're going to look at a story where one of Jesus' own disciples thought he knew what Jesus thought about him and 
how Jesus would respond to him. Did I get an amen from the back? In 1892, two business partners, David and Ezra, started a small but successful sales operation in Manhattan. The two men had very different visions for the direction of the company, though, and argued frequently. In 1907, David sold his shares to Ezra and got out of the business. Ezra continued running the business until his passing in 1931. David would pass on about a year later in uh, 1932. Although the company they started together has seen some recent controversy, it continues to be one of the more popular fashion retailers in the world today. A company that opened as a small sporting goods operation over a hundred years ago by David Abercrombie and Ezra Fitch. Now this episode uh, of The Chosen is mostly about the Apostle Peter, specifically the beginning of his faith journey. Uh, the, the episode title, The Rock on Which It Is Built, comes from a story in Matthew 16, when Jesus, very early in his ministry, asks the apostles who they think he is. And Peter is the first to respond, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. At this point in Jesus' ministry, he had not revealed that to them. And so Jesus understands that for Peter to have this information, it would have had, had to have been inspired by God. And so Jesus responds to him after Peter says this, You are Peter, which means rock. And upon this rock, I will build my church and all of the powers of hell will, will not conquer it. Now, Peter's story is an interesting case study, though, because not only is he easily the most relatable character from the Bible, he's one of the few that we get to see his entire arc of his faith journey from the very beginning to his death. Peter was passionate, he was loyal, and he would become a staunch defender of Jesus. But he was was prone to the occasional hiccup, one really big one that we're going to get to in a minute. Peter's eagerness it, it often manifest, manifested itself in a in a kind of ready shoot aim mentality. Uh, he was very much a look without leaping kind of person. Um, for example, shortly after their exchange in Matthew 16, uh, the the uh, apostles are walking with Jesus, and Jesus, one of the many times uh, we see him predict his own death. And it, I mean, it bothers the apostles, right? But Peter. He, he goes to Jesus kind of off to the side, and he's like, look, man, you can't do that, all right? It freaks us out. Um, and Jesus, Jesus tells him, you're not seeing this from a God point of view. You're simply looking at this from a human point of view and what's going to comfort you and make you feel better. And that's, that's just not what I'm here for necessarily. Late, uh, earlier in Matthew, when the apostles see Jesus walking on water during a storm, he calls out to the apostles, and he says, come to me. And Peter is the first one to jump out of the boat. But then he, he gets out there and he sees the wind and, and the rain and the, and the thunder and lightning. And he gets scared. And he starts to sink. And Jesus comes over to him and he pulls him up and he saves him. And he says, you have so little faith. Why did you doubt me? <clears throat> For all of his strengths, uh, though, Peter, Peter was someone who at different points would be covered in shame and covered in guilt. And sometimes those feelings just exploded out of Peter in some varsity level hissy fits, kind of, kind of like the one we saw just a second ago. But we're going to look at how Jesus deals with it and how he brings healing to it 
on some level, we all struggle with things we're not proud of, right? Maybe it's something that happened recently. Maybe it's something that you've been carrying around for decades. Maybe it's a decision you made or something you said that you wish you could take back. Or a conversation you should have had but didn't. Whatever it is, you just can't seem to let go of it. And the more time that goes by, the easier it is to convince yourself, I know God loves me. I know this. But maybe maybe God just can't use me. So my hope and my prayer is that is that some of us will leave here today encouraged and that the weight of you the weight of what you've been carrying will be lifted. Now Peter through all of his ups and downs he found that Jesus remained his loving Lord and his faithful God. And there's four points that I, that I want to highlight from Peter's story and I admittedly I got a little help from uh our very own Whitney Scarborough. Thanks Whitney. And uh and a podcast that I listen to pretty regular. But uh, there's four things from Peter's story that I want to highlight that show how Jesus responds to Peter and how he does the same for us. In 1948, Glenn opened a small hot dog stand in his hometown of San Bernardino, California. While his business saw moderate success all day long, Glenn would watch as customers waited in long lines outside a Mexican food restaurant across the street. Never want to miss an opportunity, Glenn added tacos to his menu and very quickly found that the tacos outsold the hot dogs by a wide margin. So, several years later, after experimenting with several different name variations, Glenn Bell opened a newsstand in 1951 and called it Taco Bell. To understand the full weight of Peter's journey, we're going to have to, we're going to start at the end and move our way backwards. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and grab those. Um, they turn to John chapter 21. It's the very last chapter in John. Um, we're gonna, we're gonna kind of exist there. I may be jumping around a lot, but just, uh, if you want to keep, keep your Bibles turned to John 21, that's, that's where we're gonna, that's where we're gonna be primarily. Anyway, this chapter of John is interesting, uh, because if you back up to chapter 20, it looks like John wraps, kind of wraps everything up nicely, you know, on this book that he's writing. Um, he starts with the resurrection. Uh, he talks about Jesus appearing to Mary, uh, and then Jesus appearing to Thomas and the rest of the disciples. And then, G- and then John goes on to outline the purpose of writing this book. In verse 30 and 31, the disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is the Messiah the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. And then it's almost like he he remembers something else. He he remembers, he wants to write something else. He remembers, maybe he recalls something uh, from the past, but he, he decides to tack one more story on. Not about himself, which would make more sense. I mean, John is a guy that continuously referred to himself in his book as the disciple that Jesus loved. Gotta love it. Um, But instead, he decides to write about Peter and Peter's final interaction with Jesus. So follow with me, starting in verse 1. John 21, verse 1. Later, Jesus appeared again to the disciples beside the Sea of Galilee. This is how it happened. Several of the disciples were there. Simon Peter... Thomas, nicknamed the twin, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, and two others. Simon Peter said, I'm going fishing. 
We'll come too, they all said. So they went out in the boat, but they caught nothing all night. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. He called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? No, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Then the disciple who Jesus loved, that's John, said to Peter, it's the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his tunic for each trip for work, jumped into the water and headed to shore. The other stayed, stayed with the boat and pulled the loaded net to shore, for they were only about a 100 yards from shore. When they got there, they found breakfast waiting for them, fish cooking over a charcoal fire and some bread. So the first thing I want to highlight here is how Jesus runs to us in our shame. How Jesus runs to us in our shame. The disciples, they find themselves on a little bit of a strange journey here. They were told to go to Galilee, and they were told that Jesus would meet them there. But Matthew 28:16 says they were going, quote, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. Now, there are many mountains around the Sea of Galilee, but the Sea of Galilee clearly is not a mountain. Now, maybe, maybe on their way they were walking by the sea. I'm not sure what transpired, but they are by the sea, and Peter's like, yeah, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna do this. We're, we're gonna do something else. So let me ask you this. Have you, have you ever avoided talking to someone because you were almost positive they didn't want to talk to you? Maybe you said something or did something that you regret, and the thought of addressing it is just uncomfortable? A little while back, um, I, bought a, uh, I bought a new bass guitar. I, I started playing bass several months ago. I'm not great, but uh, whatever. Anyway, there's a, there's a music store in Bastrop that my son and I like to, like to frequent. And so we went in there a few weeks ago, and, and they had a bass that I wanted, so I went ahead and bought it. Um, I know I'm on a budget, but, you know, whatever. I wanted it, so I bought it. Well, when we were on the car ride home, my son looks at me, and he says, What are you going to tell Mom? In my head, I said, she's not the boss of me. I'll spend my money however I want. What came out of my mouth was nothing. And you don't say anything to her either. I'll tell her in a few weeks. Like that's somehow going to soften the blow, right? There are two factors I didn't consider here, though. One, my wife checks the credit card statement pretty regularly. And two, my son cannot lie to his mom. He has not developed that capacity yet. So we get home. My wife is standing in the kitchen. She's cooking dinner. And we get home, and Callan walks by and looks over and without breaking stride says, Dad bought a new base. It goes to his room. And so when I walked in behind him, DeAndrea, my wife, she says, You bought a new base? Like, oh. Dang it. Yes. And then I had to have a conversation I was planning on avoiding until I was ready. But now I'm, I'm, I'm forced to face it then and there and, and, and explain myself. Which, you know, it's not always easy. This is kind of what Peter is dealing with, but on a massively larger scale, right? About three weeks prior to this, on the night that he was arrested, Jesus tells the disciples, Tonight, every single one of you will abandon me. It's been written that God will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. He's quoting the Old Testament there. And upon hearing this, 
Peter immediately stands up. He's the first one to stand up. And he says, not me, Jesus. I am ready to go to prison for you and even die for you. In another account, he says, even if all these other guys leave you, I will never desert you. And Jesus, it's interesting, he, he, Jesus looks at him and he says, I tell you, Peter, you're probably familiar with the story. He says, I tell you, Peter, the rooster will not crow today until you deny three times that you know me. A little while later, they're praying in the garden when Judas shows up with the temple guard. And they arrest Jesus. And they take him away and they put him on trial. And Peter, we're told in Luke 22, Peter is following at a distance as they led Jesus away because he, he wants to see what happens. Right? And as they get to the high priest's house, Peter finds himself uh, standing in a courtyard, just hanging around outside, and the guards light a fire to warm themselves, so Peter joins them. While he's sitting at the fire, a servant girl notices him, and she says, this man was also with Jesus. And Peter says, nope, nope, don't even know him. I was not with that guy. A little while later, someone else recognized him and says, you must be one of them. And Peter says, uh, man, I'm not. I'm not him. Says after about an hour, uh, Peter's accent gives him away. And a third person says, certainly this man was with Jesus, for he too is a Galilean. And not only this time does Peter deny that he knows Jesus, he begins to call curses down on Jesus. And says, would someone who knows him curse him like this? And while he was still speaking, a rooster crowed. And from the courtyard, Jesus turns and looks at Peter. And Peter remembers what Jesus had said and that he had predicted this very thing. And it says in Luke twenty-two sixty-two that Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. This was a man that had changed Peter's life. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years. He'd seen Jesus allow the the blind to see. He'd seen Jesus allow the lame to walk. He watched Jesus feed 5,000 people with a Lunchable. And he had sworn to defend Jesus to the death. And in the critical moment, a moment Peter swore to himself would never come, He denied that he even knew the man. And now, three weeks later, Peter's wondering what a lot of us wonder when our shame hits us. Does Jesus even want anything to do with me? I mean, I know he's back alive, but does he want me back? Mark writes that when when the two Marys, Mary Magdalene and Mary, mother of James... Uh, visit the, the tomb of Jesus and they find it empty. They encounter an angel and the angel says, Jesus is alive. He's not here. He's alive. Go tell the disciples and Peter to go to Galilee and Jesus will meet them there. Now why would he say and Peter? Peter's a disciple. In fact, by many accounts, Peter was considered the leader of the disciples. Why single him out? Because Jesus knew that Peter probably wouldn't come otherwise. So when all the apostles get to Galilee, Peter, carrying all of his guilt and all of his shame, he goes back to what he knows best, back to the thing that's most comfortable. I'm going fishing. He probably hadn't been in a boat in three years. But to Peter, doing that sounded 
light years better than what he imagined a conversation with Jesus was going to be like. But Jesus, even though he told the disciples that he would meet them on top of a mountain, shows up on a beach while the apostles are fishing in our lowest moments of shame and guilt and regret. Jesus runs to us. In 1923, the Hassenfield brothers founded a company selling pencil cases and other school supplies in Providence, Rhode Island. Like many others, they had to deal with material shortages brought on by World War II, so they shifted their focus from school supplies to toys, finding some success selling modeling clay and doctor and nurse kits to children. The Hassenfeld brothers then made two decisions in an effort to remain relevant in the toy industry. First, they shortened the name of their company. And second, the company produced a toy that would become their first commercial success and cement them as the leading toy maker for years to come, when in 1952, Hasbro started selling Mr. Potato Head. In his entire ministry, Jesus never shot from the hip. Every word, every action, every lesson was calculated and made with a specific purpose. Right now, Peter is in a moment where he thinks God doesn't want anything to do with him, and Jesus is about to show Peter... You think this is about you? Do you really think that my relationship with you depends on your faithfulness to me? So the disciples come to shore, and Jesus has breakfast waiting for them there, right? I know I'm leaving out a key element here. I'm coming back to it. Don't worry. But after they eat, Jesus asks Peter a series of questions. And so we're going to pick up John 21 in verse 15. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus then repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. A third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. The next point that I want to uh, highlight is how Jesus redeems our past. Jesus redeems our past. Everything, Everything about this setting is designed for a specific purpose in mind. Right When Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me, you can see the frustration and hurt growing each time Peter answers. And as soon as Jesus responds with feed my sheep the third and final time, it all seems to fall into place for Peter. Oh, right, I denied Jesus three times. No wonder he's asking me three times. Right? The text doesn't specify, but Peter, Peter probably begins to recall the circumstances that led him to Jesus are eerily similar to what he's, what he's dealing with right now. Both times, the men are out fishing and catch nothing. Both times, they see Jesus on the beach. Both times, Jesus tells them, throw your nets in the water. And both times, they bring in a catch so large, they can't get it into the boat. I do think it's amusing, though, that in Luke 5, um, in Luke 5, Jesus kind of uses the boat to stand up and preach on, right? And then they push the boat slightly offshore and... uh, 
and catch catch the fish. But in this one, Jesus yells at him, try the right side of the boat. And I'm not sure if you know this, Jesus. It's not really how fishing works, but uh, it does in this case. Um, but they immediately recognize Jesus, right? And both times, Peter is overcome with emotion. Now, Luke 5 is where the story uh, is that where, where Peter first meets Jesus. And and uh, in Luke 5, Peter tells Jesus, when he, when, after Jesus performs his miracle, Peter tells Jesus, leave me, I am too much of a sinner to be around you. Here, Peter can't help himself, and he just throws his shirt on and jumps in the water and starts swimming. The rest of the guys, the text says they're about 100 yards off boat, the rest of the guys are like, uh, okay, um, let's drag the fish in. And so, ironically, since they were so close to the shore, <laughs> the boat probably beat Peter there. But you got to love his enthusiasm. Now, studies have shown that our sense of smell is probably the strongest sense when it comes to recalling memories. And Jesus is having this conversation with Peter while sitting next to a fire, a charcoal fire. Did you know that there's only one other place in the Bible where a charcoal fire is mentioned specifically? There's a lot of fires in the Bible, don't get me wrong. But there's only one other place where a charcoal fire is mentioned specifically. John 18, 18. Because it was cold, the household servants and the guards had made a charcoal fire. They stood around it, warming themselves. And Peter stood around it, warming himself with them. At Peter's first denial of Jesus Christ, he's standing next to a charcoal fire. And then here he is three weeks later having a conversation with Jesus that he had avoided at all costs. And he's standing next to a charcoal fire with Jesus. In that setting, Jesus very intentionally redeems anything Peter thought he had in his past that might disqualify him from the love of God. The very first time they meet, Jesus tells Peter, follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. And this is the third point that I want to highlight is how Jesus restores our purpose. It doesn't matter what's been, what's in your past or what you thought your future looked like. Jesus tells him, I have a purpose for you. And here's Peter, a broken man, again, standing at probably what he thinks is the end of the road again. And Jesus looks him in the eye. And he says, do you, do you really think that I would change my mind about you because you denied me? I knew that would happen. I told you that would happen. Nothing you do surprises me. No, I'm not done with you, Peter. I want you to lead the church. I want you to pour into people and share the gospel. I still have a purpose for you. Feed my sheep. So as we wrap up this passage, the, uh, the final observation I want to make comes from uh, verses 18 and 19. So starting in verse 18, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands 
and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Whenever I'm leading a Bible study with the students, and we've got several of them here, they can probably attest to this. I usually start, like to start things off with three or four icebreaker type questions, right? Nothing serious, just some silly questions like who's your favorite superhero? Or, um, you know, what's the worst food you've eaten? Whatever. It's not an original or innovative idea, but it helps loosen things up. Um, but if you do this enough in front of the same students, and you rapidly cycle through the standard questions, and so you, you kind of have to start getting creative. Well, sometimes, admittedly, a question sounds better in my head than it does coming out of my mouth. For example, uh, I remember one time, one time we were sitting around and it was going to be the last question I was going to ask. And I said, if you were given the option, would you want to know when and how you would die? Silence. Everything comes to a screeching halt. And one of the students, I don't remember which one, says, that's a terrible question, Mr. Kenny. It's really interesting, though. That's exactly what Jesus is telling Peter. Right? He's saying at some point, a few decades from now, someone is going to lead you where you don't want to go. And you'll stretch out your arms, which is a metaphor for crucifixion, and that's how you'll die. And this is the final point that I want to highlight, is that Jesus redefines our future. Not long before this, Peter denied Jesus because he was afraid to die. But there will come a day, Jesus says, that you will look death in the face and say it is worth it. No matter the cost, you will die for me, Peter. And church history tells us that Jesus did rewrite his story. And eventually his arms were stretched. Peter led the church like no one other than Jesus ever has. And the coward became courageous, and in the face of his death, Peter was not afraid. But he demanded to be crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to die like his Savior. Jesus redefines our future. In 1957, Joe McVickers convinced the host of a popular children's show to invest in a revolutionary new product. That product was a cleaning compound for wallpaper that Joe's father had invented. The host hesitated, but as soon as Joe demonstrated how to use it, the host agreed to invest and even use it on his show. So how was, able, how was Joe able to convince this host? Well, because he, he saw his father's compound for what it really was. And with a little molding and shaping, he changed the packaging, he changed the color, he changed the smell... Joe was able to put his father's obsolete wallpaper cleaning compound in the hands of millions of children worldwide and call it Play-Doh. Do you have something you're struggling with? Is there something that you've been avoiding uh, or ignoring, hoping it will go away? Is it something you feel like defines you? Or maybe... Maybe you think if you pretend like it isn't there, you can hide it from God. These these seemingly random stories about these different businesses, I threw those in to highlight that it doesn't matter where you started. If you allow Jesus into your life, he will redefine your future. It doesn't matter what's in your past. And I'm going to let you in on a little secret. It really doesn't matter what's in your present. 
Pastor Brennan Manning once said, Jesus comes not for the super spiritual, but for the wobbly and weak need who know that they don't have it all together and who are not too proud to accept the handout of amazing grace. If you're with Jesus, you're free. You're clean. You're forgiven. And you are new for the rest of your life. Jesus is waiting to shape and mold you into someone without the burden of shame and without the burden of regret and reborn as someone who says, I am not defined by that anymore. And you won't be alone because Jesus runs to us in our darkest moments. He redeems our past and he redefines our future by restoring our purpose. Revelation 3.20 says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. If you want to experience the peace and satisfaction of a life with Jesus in it, all you have to do is ask. In a minute I'm going to pray and, uh, and we're, going to, we're going to continue worship. But before I shut this down, I want to leave you with a quote from Ben Stewart's new book, Rest in War. In it, he writes, no matter how strong you are, you will arrive at a moment when your storehouse of energy is depleted. Even then, he later writes, even then, Jesus will be there, not to condemn you, but to catch you. Hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you for this morning. Thank you for allowing us to praise you and worship you. God, I ask that if there's anyone here that, that is, is dealing with shame or, or regret or guilt on some level, that you, that you help them find peace in their heart and that through your wisdom and your courage, they will come to you. Father God, we love you. And forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us for the Cross Point Community Church Podcast. It is our prayer that this message was encouraging to you as you follow Jesus. For more about Cross Point Community Church, you can find us online at crosspointchurchtx.org. Have a great week.